Hi, and welcome to the fifth episode of the Idle Hands podcast, where we hope to discuss and learn more about creative process. I'm joined today by the man that looks in the mirror every morning, and thanks God that he's Welsh, Paul Bentz. Good evening, good evening. And the very talented film director, cinematographer, photographer, musician, Alfred George Bailey. Good evening, guys. I'm lovely to be here. I, I didn't know which one to go with, to be honest with you, Alfred. It's uh, yeah, I, know, it's a bit, got... I, I need to sort of like strike off some of those ones. You know, now apparently I'm only allowed to put photographer and well, director and then sometime photographer. Not as good as Paul Betts, Mr. Gorgeous Betts. He's, he's an incredible photographer. Hides his light under a bushel too much for my liking, but hey. <laughs> he needs to shine that one. He definitely needs to shine because his work is outstanding. It is. It is. He's very modest about it, but it is. It really is. I personally think you should just keep collecting them, Alfred. Um, as many as you can, like top tops. <laughs> just keep going with them. Exactly. It's the ones with the highest points on them, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just try and get about 20 of them, all these different things. <laughs> I, I don't know where you're going to go next, though, now you've done film director. That, that feels like the most, at least to my uneducated eyes, it feels like the most unachievable one. So it's going to be really difficult to, to top film director now, isn't it? Well... The next one, I've, I've got a writing partner, so I write. So we're working on a drama series now, which unfortunately I'm not allowed to say anything about. But um, it's going to be maybe when I, you know, if we do another one, if I come yeah. back on, if you think yeah. I'm good enough and, and this one goes well, I'd love to discuss it with you. But it's something that I think you're going to all really love. It's, it's, um, it's a sprawling series. The only thing I can say is it starts uh, six women. How's 2020 been for you, Alfred? The thing is, the really unusual thing is at the beginning of the lockdown, um, it was actually really fantastic weather, as we all knew. It was amazing. I was a bit like, I don't know what's going to happen here. I don't know what's going to happen in the world, but I can spend time with the boys and the missus and, you know, just, just relax for a change. And we did. And then at the beginning of the year, I decided, I think I told Paul, I decided to stop drinking. And I didn't drink for like eight months. And what I also did was I concentrated on I thought now I've spent some wonderful time with the boys and I can I can see that our, our working schedules and life schedules have changed and I don't need to get up so early but I can stay up a bit later yeah. and you're tight you know there's a complete time shift. I started to write and I started to go out there and just you know and then I got approached by a friend of mine who runs his name's Kiri Duffy he runs uh, Cook Optics which is the cinematographer's uh, lens supplier and they're an amazing company been around for an incredibly long time and their lenses have been used on some of the most amazing films like 1917 I think Blade Runner used some of the lenses you just name it their, their lenses have been used throughout the last 50, 60, 70, 60 years 70 years at least I mean in, in the film industry mm. so they were wanting to test some lenses but in a, in a stills capacity they don't like to use the term brand ambassador, but I'm part of the Leica family. So they they sent me a camera to field test and, and then and they said I was tied up with cook. So I was taking photos of the boys, filming, the weather was incredible, the light was stunning. And then I, I just started to get really busy during lockdown. And I have to say, I have not been this busy in years. During that time, I made a short film called I Still Breathe. Um, which Sky bought towards the end of last year. And my last documentary feature, I won the Grierson Awards, which was really touching for all of us. Uh, for my documentary feature, Show Me the Picture, the story of Jim Marshall. So last year has been bloody busy. It's been like a... Um, it's been a whirlwind. It's been a really great ride. It's been... I've, uh, the 
thing is when you don't have to go into town, when your time is actually your own now, you can actually do as much as you can. For me, it was the best thing that could have happened to me, and I can only speak personally, lockdown. I was begging for time because I needed to write. I never had time to write. I was always running around. I, I wanted time just to come, just to sort of like stop for a minute and just say, where, what, what do I want to do now with my, um, as you asked earlier, what was it I'm doing? Directing is the thing I do now. I write and direct. And I still take photos. Do you um, find, so the career jump, so you've gone from being a, a drummer to uh, a photographer to a cinematographer to a director. Is there like a synergy between all of the careers? Like, is there bits that you take from each of them that have carried over into the next profession, as it were? Well, Paul, Dan, I mean, absolutely. Um, I think if I hadn't started up as a, with my father's church, you know, and then learning the drums and being in that kind of environment and then going on and being in a band when I was a young boy and then Courtney Pine and I, the very famous saxophonist, we were in the same group together, a jazz punk group. If I didn't do that, and free, you know, I think that, that it all adds, it's almost like a big pot to your cooking something and those are just some more ingredients to your to your palate. How long did you did you drum for? Like, I'm, I'm really interested in exploring this journey you've taken to, to, to where you are today um, and I, I don't know if if you've had a chance to have a look at the website and that kind of stuff, but this this synergy between all the different creative processes and how we can learn things from other creative processes is yeah. is kind of what all, I'm all about. So I'm I'm really interested in in how you moved from one to the other and uh, and how you think that shaped where you are now. That's a great question. Um, thanks, Dan. I mean, I think. Wow. Uh, well, I was brought up in church, so I started drumming. At the age of 10, I think. Really? Uh, getting behind a kit, yeah, because there was somebody in the church who was a really good drummer. And he, I used to sort of like, it was the one instrument that I was drawn to. My mum wanted me to play the piano, and I still to this day, it's one of those things I wish I'd kept it up because I, I really do love piano. It's one of the instruments I really admire. And it's much quieter and, uh, when you practice, right? I keep trying to get my nephews. I keep trying to get them drum kits, and my brother's not having any of it. You should just do it anyway. Get a pair of bongos. A practice. You can get a digital practice pad or a practice pad with headphones, so they can have a sense of drumming, and it's quite quiet. But um, in answer to your question, being in the church, being in that environment. So I'll tell you a little history. My mum played piano. My dad played bass. My brother played lead guitar in the gospel choir in the church or in the church's group. Later on, I played the drums. And then as I was getting older, as you become a teenager and you grow into yourself and into my late teens, I started to go less frequently, in, you know, to the, to the obviously, the, 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 the complete wrath of my father because, you know, he was quite a strict man, but. You know, he wanted me to stay in the church, and I was just like, "No, I, I need to get out of here. This is this is not for me." And I, and, and when you start to have friends and you go around their houses and listen, I started to hear like the early funk songs, and I was really influenced by rock as well because I had friends who were really into it, and bands like Deep Purple and Led Zepp, and you know, and I love those sort of like drummers. And this is going to sound very strange, and, and you know, this is obviously the show is about being honest and open, and. I'm, I was really more drawn towards rock and I wanted to be a rock drummer, but because 
being a young black kid grew up in northwest London, you couldn't say that. You couldn't say, oh, I want to be a rock dog. And then look at you like, what? Huh? Really? You know, and then I was, you know, then I, I moved back into the kind of like the soul groove and all that stuff. And then when I heard Weather Report, I thought, well, you can do that. You can actually have that kind of Weather Report, Return to Forever. Those groups were just really, they were fusion, rock and jazz. And I realised that you could do that if you wanted to con- not compromise, if you wanted to sort of like have the flavours of both. But I really wanted, I really wanted to be a straight up rock drummer because I just loved the grooves. So especially uh, John Bonham was my one of my heroes. Yeah, I mean John John Bonham is something else, isn't he? I, I'm trying to place this in time because for for the benefit of everybody listening, Alfred does not look like he's old enough to remember when Deep Purple and Led Zeppelin were, were, were roaming the earth. So I, it, was this sort of after those bands? Moisturiser, boys, moisturiser. Exactly. You've got to moisturise that. I used to have to get out of the bath or the shower. I'm like, rub your body down, get a good old Nivea. That's it. See you the world again. Okay, I might have to start. Am I mistaken then? Are you... Are you of the age where you actually do remember when Deep Purple and and uh, Led Zeppelin were roaming the earth? How far am I? Or, or, or were you just listening back to them? Um, no, no, I'm not. I'm not that. I, I mean, I was listening back. I mean, I wasn't. <laughs> I'm not that old. I'm, not, I'm old, but I'm not that old. <laughs> I wasn't around. I wasn't around when they first came out. No, <laughs> I was still. I was still either they were around in the sixties, weren't they, or fifties? No, sixties. So yeah, no, I think it was like I late sixties, early seventies. Yeah, and I was, I was, yeah, going, going. Um, one of the, one of the things I was watching your Jim Marshall film again today, and oh. and do you know what I was thinking when I was watching it is. And I didn't know you were a drummer. I was, I researched, I'd done a little bit of reading, some interviews you'd done, and I found out that you were a drummer. And I watched the film and I thought, you can tell, right? There's a rhythm. You have this rhythm to your, it's, it's, it's like a, I, I don't know, it's like a riff. It's like some kind of pattern within, within, the, within the film and you can feel that you're a musician. I was like, I didn't notice. And then when I read about the drum, I thought, oh, wow, yeah. That's, is that intentional? Do you, do you think that's part of your DNA, is it? That's another fantastic question. Um, the answer to that is yes. I can't. Yeah. The thing is, when I worked with Adam Biscupsey, the editor on Jim Marshall, Adam's an amazing editor who is, some editors are quite, as a matter of fact, then you get some who have a rhythm to them. Adam's a very musical guy like me, and he, he we both cut the film to a beat, and we wanted it to have a flow. We wanted it to have a sense of, um, the film moves along, as you can tell, it drives along. And then it eases up a little bit and it, it lets it lets down, but then it really picks up and it has a rhythm to it. So, you know, I'm very pleased it's actually made my week that you said that. That's really great. That all my films have rhythm, and even when I'm going to be moving into doing a drama, it will they will all have a sense. There will be something that musical will always play a big part. So, in answer to Dan and Paul, music is essential to me. When I'm editing photos, I have music on. Or I have some kind of music going on, or I, I know today, you know, I just have it as in random. So whatever comes up will come up. And our musical taste is incredibly broad. <laughs> I've got, on one sense, I've got Slipknot, then I've got Charlie Parker, then I've got um, Metallica, then I'll have Deep Purple, then I'll have um, Steel Pulse, then I'll have Asworth, and then it'll be Mozart, Sibelius, UK Stubbs. <laughs> you know, Clash. <laughs> Clash. Yeah, I think 
whatever moves you, and I really hate people to say, I only listen to this, no, 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 then that's not living. I think it's only young people that say that, right? <laughs> I think you're right, Ben. <laughs> I don't really know anybody that only listens to one thing. The, the thing that always concerns me is when I meet people that when you talk to them about their musical tastes and they show you whatever their musical library looks like, digital or physical. I'm one of these suckers that I've got like too many vinyls and too many CDs. But um, it, it, it winds me up when you see people and they're like, I, I haven't listened to anything that's been recorded since I was about 14. And you just think, oh, you're missing out on so much good stuff. There's The pants now yeah. are better than they've ever been. And isn't it the fun bit is like, just diving into music that you don't know. I love that, that you can just go on this journey. It's and you just, come across, you just come across stuff you've never heard before. And you're like, wow. I, I, I love snooping on other people's music libraries. That's one of my favourite I, I think mine, would you be like, you guys are just it's, it's because I, I was brought up to believe that it's, it's, it's wise to listen to everything. So I got blues, country, folk, rock, Jazz, jazz fusion, metal, heavy metal, thrash metal, uh, death metal, uh, punk, new age, gospel, reggae, dub, soul, uh, funk, you know, classical, which I love. I really adore classical music. Um, you know, choral. It's, why not? Uh, soundtracks. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's all... I think if those they inspire me, music inspires me so much, guys. And I think it's one of those things that I can listen to a song, I can have my headset on, and I'll be walking, and if the day the light will be a certain way, it's Paul Nines. I'm a real, real sucker for the light, you know, I'm a real natural light geek. And, um, you know, uh, it inspires me so much. So I can be listening to something, and I'll have an idea for something, and I have to make a quick note, you know, because I just have a, something comes into my mind, into my head about, you know an idea for something and then I'll just jot it down and then I can go back to it. Do you have like an inspiration playlist or anything? I know personally I've got an inspiration playlist and there's a <laughs> bunch of stuff on it um, that I'm desperate to start sharing with people, but because I've decided to go with Apple Music and everybody else is on Spotify, nobody can see it. Is, is there a particular playlist that you stick on or an album that you stick on that gets you to get those creative juices flowing? Um, that's another brilliant question. The honest answer that I forgot to add, I also love hip-hop as well. I forgot to add that to the mix which is, you know, so in answer to your question, it's really funny, it depends on the mood I'm in and I can only answer this as honestly as possible sometimes I'm in a really mellow mood and I think, this will be an inspiring and I really want to hear this if I'm writing, it's when I'm writing, I'll put on, I love Pat Matheny I love him to death uh, Alain Mays, Pat Matheny, all those guys you know, and sometimes depending on the light, I will be playing it and then inspired sometimes i start really soft and then like my pace will get will get more you know and if sometimes i'm in a really mood like I, i'm 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 in a real yeah i'm in a really like mood and i want to hear some rap and i want to hear something that's going to really motivate me you know it's almost like doing being in the gym and working out when i listen yeah. to that sometimes get the testosterone and I'm marching around it's the real testosterone <laughs> and rock does that to me as well but in different ways so yeah Alfred, I'm interested um, in your journey and how you started out in terms of like your first photography job or your where did it where did it, where was the, like the the genesis of the the Alfred George Bailey? Where did it all begin? Bloody Take hell. me back to the beginning. Take me back. I've never told anybody this, so you guys have got an exclusive. The very first photo I took was in my mother's garden. 
in Parents Garden. It was my brother is my inspiration. He's a really great photographer, but he's not in this game at all. And he could have been really something special. Instead, he had a really serious choice, an electronic engineer. He's a real geek. And there was a picture, the clouds were a certain way. It's the clothesline, and there's a clothes thing. We just saw the clothesline. It's the first picture. And I've still, I had the negative and I had it digitized. It was the very first picture I ever took. And he gave me his Olympus, was it his Nikon F1? A big old dinosaur, a workhorse of a camera. Paul knows all about it, and Dan probably does as well. They're, you know, they're, um, they're the photojournalist cameras. And when yeah, I had yeah. that, then he gave me, he gave me his old uh, Olympus OM1 after. So I started off with film. For the young kids out there, you know, film, a roll of film that you put in a camera, not digital. <laughs> you're, you're in the right company, Alfred. I, I started on film as well. <laughs> Great. I I still got like loads of film cameras behind me, and I can see Paul's got a strip of black and white hanging from his door. Yeah, I can see it. Yeah. I came to. I was. I was a boy of the digital age, and then I've slowly kind of found my. Have you reverted back? (laughs) Well, this is this is. I'll ask this question because I think I should ask it of everybody. Um, And I don't know if it's true, and Dan disagrees with me, but we've we've had to talk off air about this before, Dan, about the emotional difference between a film photograph photograph and a digital photograph and how yeah. the impurities and the the mistakes and whatever you know with a with the analog photograph there's something that's emotionally different to a digital photograph and i don't know Absolutely. i don't know and it's maybe it's the same with celluloid and digital you know it, it's it's and each each one of these different types of films or diff, they all give you a different feel and a different look and and that that in turn is Helping to tell your story, right? It's really funny. This is that's that's this is really fantastic because it's true. There are some people who are such advocates of the film and and not digital because they believe that there is a there is almost like a spiritual connection to the film and the analog, and less so with digital. I have to slightly disagree with them. I think it's all about you as a person holding the camera and what comes out of you. And when you're holding the tool, it's only a tool at the end of the day. You can have a hammer, which is uh, powered by a motor. And if you know how to, you know, and you could do the same work if you're sculpting, then you can if you just sculpted it. But it's just, it's the intent. It's what you do with the tool. Um, Absolutely. I believe that the images now are so similar. Paul and I have had this conversation. We were walking one day, and Dan, what it was, we were talking about digital film, and I remember I was loaning the camera from Leica. Remember I was telling you that this is one of the closest cameras I've ever had to a digital camera that looks like film, and it was just that sense of... When I got it back and I looked at the images, I was like, I was like, I was like, ah, I was like a a kid in a candy store. I was looking at the the grain and I wanted to cry out. It was just wonderful. I thought, these guys know what they're doing. They know and they understand photographers. They understand classical photography. And they understand the sense of that, the, the look of an image. And... It's really funny. I'm looking now at a photo of my father, and it's like it's 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 in the frame, and it's it was taken in what he was born in 25, no 26. So that must have been 40. He must have been 20 in this picture in the 40s, and it's an old black and white photo. And obviously, it's not as the Paul you said it perfectly. It's not perfect. It's not razor sharp, and an image that's too sharp becomes cold. It becomes 
clinical. There's no, it starts to become robotic. You've got to move away from that and know that if there's a slight bit of motion blur or this and that, it, that's all good. It means that your life is not perfect. And I believe that, you know, there is, there, you know, unless the image is really completely nonsense and rubbish, most things, you know, you can look at if you're taking it, you know, that's, that's okay. I see where I'm going with this. It's like, you know, it takes a while to find yourself. It's like drawing. If you talk to painters and artists, they say it takes a while to, to for your hand to do what your brain and your heart feels that you want it to do. You know, it's only the very, very special and gifted like Picasso. People look at Picasso's work. Ironically, I'm talking about him twice this week. People look at his work and they think, oh, God, yeah, two eyes on the side of the head and this and that. And I said, no, you, you, guys, listen. He has the he can do anything he likes because if you go back in time to when he was a young boy, his work was unbelievable. He was a master draftsman. He doesn't need he could do what he likes because he's earned the right to be able to just hate what he wants because he can do it. He was incredibly technical. I went to um I went to his really big exhibition, a big Picasso exhibition, and they had work covering his whole career. And like you said, that the stuff at the beginning was so incredibly technical. Like more oh. technical than any drawing. It, it was like totally removed from a scratchy looking painting of a chicken. You know, like it, it was a million, million miles away. You would not believe it's the same person. Yeah, you would never believe it's the same person. You wouldn't. You wouldn't. But then when you read the, 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 the story about his creative process and how how he's trying to get back to the purity of being free enough to create like a child... And it all makes so much sense. When you look at it in chronological order, when you go through his whole career, it just makes so much more sense. And that simple picture I took in my mother's garden enabled me to be the director that I am now. And I'm still learning. The one thing I have to say, you never stop learning. There is no, I've done it now. This is it. (laughs) I know everything I need to know. That does not exist. It's like the one question I've been asked a few times and I find... I know you guys are not going to ask that. What's your favourite film? No, because it's like, what favourite song? No. Mm. What's your favourite drama? It doesn't exist because, one, everybody has a little bit of something that I love. I mean, who I enjoy. There's a group of people that I like. There's a group of directors that I like. You know, I was... So, part of my creative journey, when I was a young boy, and I think you've done your homework, and I was a bit sickly. Sickly little boy. And what happened was I had to stay at home for a short period and not run around. And there was a film on BBC Two called The Wednesday Afternoon Matinee. So my went out of the room, turned the telly on, she goes, oh, you know, you can't run around. Just, Don't worry, man, let's watch. She thought it was going to be kids' programs. And you know what films, the very first film I saw, my very first feature film? It was Citizen Kane. Wow. And I sat there and this thing watched, I just was like this. For the people who can't see me, my mouth is hanging open. <laughs> you know, my sister made me watch Calamity Jane. <laughs> <laughs> so you can see where my influences are coming from, right? Exactly, with the cowboy boots <laughs> and the long hair. <laughs> <laughs> the Welsh classic. I can't believe I just admitted that. <laughs> you know what? It's, it's okay. And you know what? It was so amazing that I was not frightened of the film. I was about nine eight or nine and I was kind of like off school and I sat there watching this film and because I think when my mom came in the room it was right at the very beginning and it was when the I'm not going to do a if no one has seen it okay I wouldn't give it away 
but there's a young boy at a boarding house somewhere and it's lots of snowing and he's playing with a sled <laughs> and lots of other stuff is going on and and you know I was just like I didn't realize I was falling in love with cinematography and one of my absolute first influences was Greg Tunland he was the man and that guy was a master of lighting with very minimal lighting and 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 camera techniques the little those guys had they did incredible work mm. i mean they did some unbelievable work and they kind of paved the way for the techniques that we take for granted now were done by those guys i feel like the first movie i watched where i i was just totally blown away by the aesthetics of the thing was um aliens ridley scott mm. <laughs> I just, I just remember wow. sitting there thinking, like, I can't believe this place exists. Somebody's built this. Like, I know it was on a soundstage, but do you know what I mean? Like, th- this was before the days of CGI, and you just look yeah. at these people walking around, these actors, and you just think, my God, that that was real. Like, somebody built that. I mean, obviously, I know that there weren't really aliens. They didn't go to a, a foreign party, but but I, I, I was just, <laughs> I just remember being absolutely fascinated with the fact that somebody yeah. built that. Somebody had a vision, and then made that world. And you know what? I, and then if I fast forward quite a few years into my young teen, well, early to you know, late late to mid teens, after school, I dated this girl, and she was and I'm working in Soho for a film company. This is all true. I will not reveal her name, but anyway, she goes, "Come up, meet me after work. Meet me, meet me for lunch, and come up, come meet me at work." I said, "Okay." So I went to her office and so I can't remember where it was. I can see it was all a bit of a blur that bit. And she goes, no, no, come up. And I came up. So she goes, oh, you're going to really love this. Because you love this stuff, don't you? We walked into the room and it was the pyramid from Blade Runner. Oh, no way. You guys, it was really Scott's off to They had all parts of the mini set there. And I'll never forget this. And then I was just like, wow, this is incredible. What is this? You know, it's for a film they're working on. <laughs> <laughs> for a film they're working on. I don't think she really cared that much, but she was she was into the film game. She still is in the film game now. I think she realized, you know, she it was you know it was um, it was quite incredible. I'll never forget it. I remember looking at it and just like going so close to it and looking at all of oh, it. Every and I was just like, this is incredible. And I tell a lie. Right when I was at primary secondary school or grammar school. Sorry. Anyway, there's one of the kids there. I hung out with him, and he says, come back to my house. Just, just to hang out. Yeah, we hung out. Just come back to my house, we'll have a laugh. Yeah. We raised mum's fridge. You know, it was like spring, summer. And he goes, oh, my dad's got this really cool shed, you know, in the backyard. He had this lovely house in Hampstead, uh, kind of like in between Hampstead and Finchley and Frognor, a really beautiful house. And he had this beautiful big thing at the back, like a work. He goes, oh, my dad's workplace is in there. He goes, come and look, I'm going to show you this. This is Absolutely, the gospel truth. We went there, and there was these huge, massive Dr. Martin boots and these glasses that were like that. They were for Elton John's stage show. He was a set designer. He was a designer. He designed his stuff. Oh, no way. Yeah. So I could see at the beginning, I was on get. I was getting little snippets of like my not my future, but things that were influencing me indirectly, and then. One of the first things when I was at primary school, towards the end of my primary school, I was, I don't know, I don't know where he is, Robert Swan, and his mum always was, took a really good shine to me and hurt him. We were really best friends. You know, you have a little best friend at school. Mm-hmm. And his mum asked my mum, would you, is it okay if I take 
um, Robert's asking if uh, if Africa can come and watch the theatre one day. It's in the daytime. Don't worry, it's in the day. We'll look after him. And the first play, the first thing I saw in the theatre was Tom Brown's School Days. <laughs> and I cried, got so emotionally involved. Because Flashman was such a piece of shit. And, you know, and I got, I really was into it. And I thought, I hate him. And, uh, ooh, and uh, you know, I was really got hooked. I really got hooked on it. And I think that with that and a combination of little bits and pieces is, I think little seeds get planted in your life. And I also believe that if you have a great teacher, so when I was at my school, there was a, the art teacher, Mr. White, he was amazing. And I really thank him. I know he passed on because he wasn't young then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if he's still alive, wow. But um, he was incredibly, he was really great at looking at people and knowing that they have something or there's something that you, that. I see. And it wasn't creepy. It wasn't weird. Can you stay back? And there's something I want to show you. And I was the first computer. And I remember one of those computers, I think it might have been a Mac, and it was doing stop motion. We were learning that at school. And, um, oh, man, I think, you know, and he was this guy. He used to have a ballpoint pen, and this guy could do some incredible drawing with ballpoint pens. And he and he drew this tree, and it would look incredible with all the detailing. And, he taught me to look at stuff and examine and look. And he and uh, having people like that, one thing I have to say, having a great mentor or teacher is essential in your creative journey. I had um, a teacher, his name was Mr. Yaman Ali, and he was a powerful man, very powerful man. And we were, uh, he was my art, he was my, no, he was my English slash Latin teacher. And, <laughs> you know, again, I think... He he just had this ability to tell you that you you were worth more than you thought, you know, and just oh, inspire wow. you, you know, yeah. just that that just to make you feel slightly like you know. I think well, we're all working class family apart from Dan. I know he lives in a mansion. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I wish, I wish, Paul, I wish we're all working class boys. I'm slumming in here in Medway, mate. I don't know what you're talking about. And I think it, we you, we were really like I went to a tough, comprehensive school in South Wales, and it, it was like when I was younger, the idea of being a creative or being a photographer didn't even exist. I didn't even know that I could possibly become a photographer. And like yeah. I, 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 I went the IT background and, and had a great IT teacher, and he taught me how to use a computer and all of that stuff. Yeah. And, um, but I think having somebody that inspires you from a young age is is, is really it's, it's kind of essential isn't it and having and and how do we how do we like help the 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 other working class kids you know who i think some of those opportunities are you know especially in the tory government far far less right it's like almost impossibly difficult to become a photographer today my parents were working class they worked so hard and because they thought that maybe i had a little gift like my brother he uses all electronics and stuff. He can strip a watch down and put it back together again at a young age. So that's crazy that he was wow. really bright, you know? And I had this gift of drawing and doing stuff and being, I was always the creative side. And I got, I was, I had a special place at a grammar school. That's the reason how I got in. Other than that, there would, nah, it wouldn't have happened. If it wasn't, it would never have happened. Of those teachers. And, uh, and the people that said, I want to take a chance on him. 
it's the right place, right time. So I know what Paul's talking about, about having those teachers, you know, and we had a, who was our geography teacher? This guy was fearsome. History and geography taught, and that guy was, and I have a thirst for history. I love it. And it's because of people like that, you know? Yeah, it's by that love of learning that kind of never dies, does it? I think once you get it inside of you, and and, and it comes in all its forms. But yeah, I'd, I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd love to be like that one day. I'd love to be able to inspire somebody like the the way that you guys were inspired by your teachers. It, it would be so amazing to be able to look back and just see someone just making something of themselves and thinking, not that I did that, you know, like. I don't think anybody's taking that sort of credit, but just like that little snowball, like I started that rolling, like that would be so amazing. I just wanted to come back to, um, you were mentioning when you went to this play and it brought you to tears. Was was that the first time that you really felt drawn to a, like a narrative and, and got swept up in a story? Was that the, was that your first taste of like really good storytelling or did that happen before? So I think chronologically, that's a great question as well, Paul. Oh, Dan, that was probably before I had my operation when I was a kid and I took time on school. So that was, I think you're right. I think that was the first time that I got swept up in it and came kind of, that was it. That kind of almost like cemented it. I didn't know what to do with it at the time because you're so young. You don't know what you're doing with it, you know. And my parents were working class and they were immigrant working class from the West Indies, you know, they, all they knew was work and God bless their souls, you know, they they did their best for their two boys, but, you know, like, they, they were more like, make sure you have a really good, and you can read, write, do math, spell, you know, and then also, you know, have a job where you, you know, keep your nose clean, keep your head out, you know, keep, you know, not doffing cat, but not far from that. I'm going slightly, slightly off, off key here, but you, you said your dad was a pastor, right? So you, you must have seen your dad in the church in front of people commanding an audience and directing people. And I suppose that's, that's kind of, you, you, you picked that up, right? Naturally, it's kind of by watching it for all through your childhood, when you're coming out to be a director, it kind of like, it must feel almost like you're a, a pastor of the film industry. But does that, does that, does that kind of like, does that make sense to you? Like, does those, those skills that you've watched... Oh. That is one of the most unique questions I've ever heard in my life. You guys are really great. Um, Bless you. (laughs) Yes and yes. yes. You know what it is? I mean, like Dan was saying earlier about uh, that whole thing about inspiring, and I'll get back to that. That did, in a way. Do you know what? I've never thought of it. I've never actually thought of that, seeing that. Because, you know, we had preachers come over from America. One or two came from America, like my dad's. Like my uncles, who were like in the church as well, and they listened. They were proper Pentecostal preachers who were just fire. They were like the stuff you'd be like, you'd be like that. You'd be like literally, <laughs> you'd be shitting yourself, thinking that you know, like the the this is it. It's the second coming now, not later. Now <laughs> it's happening right now. And if you ever got your shit together, you're fucked. Excuse my language. This is it. It's this, this is it. We're going to hell now. God damn it! Uh, you know, and they would then then they would make you feel so like. Oh, but I'm all right. You know, they, they, they were incredibly charismatic, these people. You know, so, and you're right. <laughs> Not that I feel that way. But I'll tell you one thing, and I'm going to say, and it's been answered to Dan, it's re- what I do. I think Paul knows this, and I do this now. I always try and help where I can. And I don't want anything for it because mm-hmm. I think it's your, 
it's your absolute duty as a creative person to try and give back. Because it's like what you were saying as well, Paul, it's that thing about help both of you. It's about if you can give back, then that will actually inspire other people to take this path. And it's not easy. This isn't easy. This is not, this is, this is difficult. It's hard. And it's, not, it's, you know, I've got to do something, actually. I was asked by, uh, I can tell you, this guy who's in Downton Abbey, one of the top actors, he has this thing, a mentoring thing. And I was asked by a friend of mine who's an editor and has worked with him, and he, he saw Jim Marshall, he saw my other foot, and he said, he said, have you seen this guy's work? He goes, we'd love to get him in to talk to the young people. Would he be interested? He goes, yeah, I think we'd love that. And, uh, you know, they want to, they want me to come down and, oh, well, virtually come down, you know, because it would be with people, but eventually they want me to say, meet the kids and if you want to get into the film world. And I'm like, yeah, I said, I'll be very honest. This is not an easy road. Like what Paul does, what you guys are doing, you know, this is not easy and it's not for the faint hearted. But if there's, if you feel in your spirit, there's nothing, you can't do anything else, then you're on the right road. You have to do it. You've got to do it. 100% 100% me and Paul were saying this um, last week, we we were actually saying about how this stuff, when when you start getting really into it, you'll, you'll know when you're doing the right thing because it's like a compulsion, but you can't not do it. You have to. Mm. It's, it's, yeah. it's almost like, well, we are, we are creative drug addicts. You know, there, is, there is no two ways about it. First time I ever met Alfred, he was bringing his boys to school and he came into school with like seven Likers around his neck. Like, <laughs> I, and I was like, who's this dude? Who's this dude? Look, I got my Fuji's, and here he's coming in, blasting his three or seven Likers. I was like, "What's going on, man?" <laughs> I knew he was serious then, Dan. Yeah, seriously minted. <laughs> no, no, this is the whole point of when you have a relationship with Liker, then you know they they start to and they like what you do. They like it. Well, what you do? They like what they see. Nice play. I have a brand partnership deal with them, so I have to use their cameras. So it's Uses not them well. Yeah, it doesn't need uh-huh. just. You see? And this one here, man, I tell you, tell you, Mr. Benz, you're just ridiculous. I've got another quick question for you. Um, this is modesty so, like, trying to of... jump in here. Look, he, he can't even take the all, compliment. All, all, all... <laughs> <laughs> he can't get it. He can't take a compliment. Oh, it's terrible. I I, I always feel awkward. <laughs> um, the writing, the photography, the directing. Do you find it difficult, like wearing these different hats and jumping between the different skill sets, or is it something that you find I can just, you know, I can I can be writing one moment, then next thing I'm out shooting, or you know, how how do you yeah. find you don't have any problem jumping between these different skill it's sets, a, as it were? The only problem is is time. And there's time, well, if I'm at a dead, I love working to a deadline. Sometimes I actually work better when I know that the deadline is coming sooner. Mm. It's really funny that. Another time, when you have too much time on uh, to your hands, I try to do something else. And then I kind of time it so I know that I've only got a short amount of time to finish. Like, I've just finished a pitch document. I had to do it. And it was a big one. It was a 41-page document. I've never, I've never written 41 pages in my life. <laughs> you don't have to write all of them, but you create something. You're writing it. <laughs> and and I, um, you throw things together and then you start. You start and I've kind of got a style and a template now, so I know how to do it. And I also know if it's due on the 20th, I think I start to, when I start, the engines start to kick in on the 15th. 
you know, and there's five days. And then I think, no, I'm going to step back. And then when it gets really in three days, that's when I go, boom. And on the the, the night before, I'm pretty much done. You know, I, I kind of work like that sometimes another time, then I can go out and do a shoot the next day. But I finished the pitch document one day and I did a shoot, a big fashion shoot the other day, the following day, put that down, had a rest, and then literally for, you know, woke up in the morning again the next day and then got to work with another document, which I finished by the following evening. If you had to choose one, one of them, right? If you had to just be left with, if you were a writer, a photographer, or like if you, if you, if you only had like 24 hours left on the planet and you, you, you had one to choose, would, would you like to be left known as a writer, a photographer, or a cine, or, or all three? You, you can, you can choose, but what's your, what, what's oh, the one you love the most? What's the one you love the most? What's the one you love? Is like, is, oh, is, is there one that you like? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> picking children yeah but is there like a love like does passion burn brightly for one over the other is there like this you have this kind of you know fighting because they're fighting for your time all of these different skills right the photography the, the yeah, writing well, okay for me wow that's very unfair isn't it isn't it it's it's too unfair i think if i had to do what it's like desert island discs isn't it it's, <laughs> it's like you can only take one of the skills with you. Um, There's the island skills. <laughs> photography. Okay, that's, yeah. that's interesting. That's interesting. And why? Why do you think? Why? What's the? What's the? Why? I really love that sense when I go out and sometimes the poor man is just all too well. I don't know if Dan, if you know this too. Well, I'm sure you do. You actually probably do know this. You can pick a camera up and always carry my camera as full notes that you, some days, days will go by and nothing. And all of a sudden, you wake up and you know, and I know in my heart, I'm going to capture something really amazing. I don't know how, but I know. And it all, you know, I'm on the street and I'm always on love street photography. That's my thing. And documentary style photography. So for me, I can go out there and just go bang. Next thing you know, I've, I've, I've come away with something and I can see it it's there and it's that sense it's almost like hunting like big game hunting for me I get that sense of excitement and, and there's a there's that there's that rush of adrenaline or there's that feeling of euphoria or it's a sense of like empathy if I see something that's quite touching sometimes there are elements of pathos and sadness because there's things you see on the street that you know those moments are there for just an instant and they're gone and sometimes I can capture them there's times I can't shoot it. And there's, 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 I see so much. Other times, nothing. I don't see a thing. Do you see it as it's happening or do you not know it's... And it's trying to... I'm trying to think of the right words to put it. It's like trying to bottle lining, right? That, that, that's my understanding of it. That when, I, when I've done it, I've, I know I've got my own thoughts on whether or not you know it's a really good shot before you even press the All shutter. Right. Let me ask you the same question. Huh? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You feel it, right? You feel it. You like. It's, you can't. You can't quantify it. It's not. It's. It's like asking. Uh, it's really impossible thing. There's, I'll tell you what happened. I don't think Paul hasn't seen his images. So one morning I was getting. I'll tell you what morning it was. Julia and the boys were away, or was she away? And then I can't remember. And all of a sudden, my phone was blowing up, and it's from abroad. And my, I was like looking at my phone and my friends are going, oh my God, what's happening in London? I was like, what? 
and I turned on my telly, Grenfell was on fire. It was on fire. But it was really early in the morning. I jumped in the shower, threw on some shorts, trainers, grabbed my bag, and so I looked at my Lycas and this went, and I looked at one lens and I grabbed that and three three batteries and I went and marched down there. Threw them around me, literally out the door, jumped on the bus, boom, 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 connected. I was in, I was there. But when I got to Shippers Bush where the roundabout was, I looked at the 220, as you know, we just walk down and get there. I um I had to walk through because it was a roadblock. And I could see the tower burning. And I wish I'd got that photo of Shippers Bush roundabout, standstill. Mm. Engines off and people just standing looking doing that. And I wish I'd gotten because I was so caught up, I wanted to get closer. And that was a shock for me to see them people looking and staring and pointing at the tower. And I got closer. And then I went down there to help because that's the area that I was my parents came to when they first came to London. So there were people that I knew from the surrounding areas. And uh I saw these firemen and I started taking pictures and then I was, I was walking along and I started to help people with water and doing stuff and I had my camera slung around me and grabbing a picture every so often. And all of a sudden I heard, oh, hey, Alfred, it was my mate. And I hadn't seen Gary in years. And Gary is the fire chief of Holloway <laughs> Fire Station. And he'd been there from the morning and then I got to hang out with the crew and take photos. And I think I took one of the best portraits of my whole life there of a firefighter, a female firefighter who had been in the tower for two hours trying to, trying to get people in. I nearly went in the building, guys. He said, do you want to go in? And I paused and he went, you know what, man? And in a way, I'm glad I didn't now in retrospect because when they told when I went back to the fire station to shadow the pictures, which they really loved, and, you know, it was very moving that day, that whole day, but I... um. They told me the stories, and those, listen, the stories alone I can't get out of my head, but I'm not going to tell you. And that's why I query what they say about 72 or 74 people. It was more than that. Because you have to remember, the top of the building was like uh, an absolute furnace. Whatever was there was never, it was proper ash. You couldn't determine. I, I went there that morning. Yeah. enough, I went there that morning, and um, I wasn't there as early as you. I think I was there by... 11 o'clock, maybe. And oh, it was just, earlier than that, yeah. It, it was just a, a, a weird... It was mad, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a weird... And I think people were upset, weren't they, that there was photographers taking pictures. People were like, why are you, you know... There was quite a lot of shouting from local people that, you know, please go away. Yeah, and swearing, yeah. Yeah, and one of the one of the clients I work for, um, Windsor Newton, has an office right, right there. And I, I went back the following day and we were just packing up packages, you know, for food and... Yeah. Helping out, and, and it was. I think that was one of the amazing things that, and I think maybe that's one of the amazing things that's come out of the pandemic. And even in a bad situation, this idea of community coming together to support each other. How how that like that that for me was the the beautiful thing that I have to agree. And I think this country is 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 maybe special in that way. That I think when there's a crisis, that we feel like. We pull together. My problem is, why do we have to have a crisis to, oh, to pull yeah. together? You know what I mean? I think it's, it's you know. I agree. And Dan, I have to just go on what Paul was saying. I have never seen, to this day, every form of humanity was at Grenfell. I saw city workers who worked in the city of London in their suits and shirts, undone, with bags of water, seats, 
Chinese, Indian, da da da, blah, blah, blah. Everybody, I saw Jewish people, every, everybody was dressed, street hoodlums, hustlers, in their really amazing rides, and then like expensive, fuck off, 50,000 pound cars, 100,000 pound cars, loaded with water, going, hey, blood, hey, bro, I got water, I got water. I've never seen that before in my life. Yeah. I've never seen, pause right, I've never seen so many people coming together of so many different walks of life to help. It shocked me to my core. It made me feel like, you see, and I have to agree with Paul 100%, but why did it take that to do that? Uh, it, to let people see the humanity in others, Dan. I mean... A hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, I wasn't in London. I was here in Kent, but um, I work for a charity. That's that's my nine to five. And I, I know yeah. that we we were sort of, every, everybody was just, manning the pumps it, it was immediately yeah. everything got dropped um and then i think we quite quickly leveraged a, a lot of those um donation websites i think that was my charity it was um sort of pulling a lot of that together and kind of organizing a little bit of that as well but it, it yeah. was i think there was just up and down like i i mean i wasn't even there and i was indirectly involved in in the effort to help those people out and i think that, yeah. that is a beautiful thing, that something in this country can happen. And I don't know how many miles I am from Grenfell right now, but, you know, we're not even in London. We're, we're, in, the, we're in Kent, you know, and, and we were doing stuff. Yeah. I, everybody was doing something. and But, yeah, that was, that was really beautiful to see. You know, and Dan, is it, uh, I'm pleased that all of us, in our way, we helped out because... It, it was a complete tragedy and, and also it was avoidable, unfortunately, but it's more to do with greed. And I got to hang out and I got things from the public hearings, which, well, the closed hearings. I got in, I got photographs, I was photographing the closed and public hearings, the recordings, the stuff where, you know, oh man, it was just the stories you heard. I mean, it's just, you just, you know, and those are the stories that will stick with me as well. You can't, you can't unhear those. So, all of those things, ironically, you've got to write or you've got to create from a place of truth. I think each of us, as creators, we do. Paul's photographs are outstanding. You know, Dan, I'm sure, the same. You know, and what you do, you know, and I try my best to, to, to in my creative um, journey do be as honest as I can be with what I do but you know things like that everything from way back when to right now is the these are the things that, that, that make me who I am as a creative person from one avoidable tragic event to another I, I, I'd like to chat a little bit about I still breathe yeah well yeah I strongly encourage anybody listening to to, to go watch it when they're done here could you talk a little bit about the motivation yeah um so, I still believe it was made during lockdown, and and at that period, George Floyd happened, um, and it was the film. I, well, listen, I, I think I should tell you how the film actually came came about. The film came about by accident, complete accident, without giving too much away. The last participant in I still believe, the young man Tan. He's an artist, he's a musician. And I was meant to photograph him for his new EP, 
or he's working on an EP, then we're going to do a shoot because London right. obviously was on the heavy lockdown. The Soho was brilliant because it was like a big set. There's no one around. You can walk around. I filmed. I just. I did lots of 4K filming in London and 6K filming. Just walking, just like you know, to get all these empty streets to use as like my own stock footage, like a zombie apocalypse. It was. It was very much like that. And we were going to shoot in the street, say like one afternoon, choose a good day, and we we're talking about it. And then we arranged to speak uh, on a Monday. Had a wonderful time. I was introduced to him by a guy called Simon Long, who is a music lawyer, great friend of mine. And every time Simon introduces me to somebody, something other than what's going to happen happens in the in the best possible sense. It turns into an amazing journey. Um, and Simon's a great guy, very well known in the music industry, one of the few people who are completely honest and just a lovely man. Mm. Simon goes, Alfred, he goes, there's this lovely guy. I'd love you to meet him. He's a really talented young kid. His name's Tam. And he's doing his EP. I'll send his music. Get you guys together. We spoke. We really got on straight away. He's lovely. And then we arranged to do the shoot the following week. I said, let's speak on Monday to pick the day. So we, uh, <laughs> funnily enough, that weekend was the weekend of the marches for Black Lives Matter. And my friend, another friend in the music industry, Ian Neal, who's a music supervisor, said to me, are you going to take your camera? Because I know you, Alfred. He goes, are you going to go to the marches? And I said, do you know what's really funny? This is the first time I'm not feeling it. I don't know why. I just, I, I, I don't want to go. And I just, I just felt, I, listen, I support it, but I just, I'm not, I, and he said to me, these faithful words, he said, whatever you do, I'm sure it's going to be something. She says, I'm sure you're going to do something. And it'll be great. And I said, oh, that's really sweet. I said, but I don't even know what I want to do, but I want to do something different. Anyway, Monday morning, spoke to Tan. How was your weekend? Hey, I said, he goes, I said, you okay? He goes, yeah, yeah. It's quite an emotional weekend, man. I said, what did you do? He goes, I was at the marches. I said, wow. I said, I'll tell you what, when we meet up this week, why don't I, I said, I'll tell you what, just for a record, can I film you? When I bring my other camera and I'll film you, talk telling me about it. He goes, I'd love that. And then I said to him, who else did you go with? He goes, eight of my friends. I said, do you think they'd be interested? He goes, they'd love it. Then it all blew up and it all happened. And, and then my friend Adam, who we were talking earlier about a film he edited, he edited Jim Marshall, said to me, I said to him, I'm going to face it. You should film this properly, man. This is going to be something special. So I spoke to a friend of mine, Matteo. He's an amazing DOP, Matteo Van Grazzi. This is how he goes, yeah, I'm in. Betty Elders, producer, she's her company, Modern Films, distributes Jim Marshall. I said, oh, I've got this. She goes, I'm in. Everybody I spoke to, yes, 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 yes. Then we found this amazing location, Battersea Arts Centre, for filming. They said, we love this project. They said, can we, uh, can we, look, we have some young girls who are part of the alumni project who would love to speak about it and they're very politicised I said great get them in some people dropped out from Thames and then some came and then we fully crewed the lighting guys were from 1917 they worked with they worked with um, Roger Deakins they were they were part of the whole of his whole crew yeah yeah and then my friend who did the sound design John Warhurst is an Oscar winner and he did um, Bohemian Rhapsody and he won also for this. He got Baptist for that. You know, he, we've been dying to work together. And every time we missed each other, he wanted to do Jim Marshall, like Gregory Pollock found. But we always keep missing each other. And this, he was available. So that's in the post production process. And then it all fell together. It was a proper crew. 
proper steady cam with big crew, done the lighting. And we made this film and it was just amazing. We had a, a we had a COVID-19 marshal, she was amazing, who and the kids signed their release forms, masks, hand job, there's a little room, we filmed in the Battersea Art Centre. And then the second day film was a place called Chili Cheese Studio, which we which was in um, um near Shepherd's Bush on act going towards um Acton. It was great. I mean everybody just came 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 to the floor and it turned into what you see now. Sounds like a punk gig, didn't it? Alfred, I got a little question for you. Um, it seems like uh, you're a master of delegation. Is that is that one of your like, you know, a lot of people and a lot of talented people, and one of the skills, I suppose, in in what you do is mixing and matching the correct individuals to the correct roles. And how do you know when it's like out of your skill set and when to pass it? Or are you are you the longer you've done it now, if you kind of built up a trusted set of lieutenants that you you go to right yeah i mean now now i am but it's just i think before i went with my gut like i want to do something with you paul i want to get you on set when i'm starting to do something you just photograph to your heart's content in the backdrop and i know you'll grab some amazing stuff and i mean and dad if you want to get your film camera out there you're welcome to that so i mean it's um in answer to your question yes i think i think one of my given to me by my mother and father as a sense of people, a sense of, I think I'm good at spotting talent. I think I know when there's somebody over-emerging, somebody who's hiding their light under a bushel <laughs> and, uh, and who, uh, who, you know, who there, there, are, there are certain people, you know, that you can see that all they need is nurturing and, you know, or just like supporting or you just give them an encouraging word. That's all people need and they'll shine. You find that it's like it becomes better, right? You once you get the these group of talented people, it becomes more than you. It becomes like you've got this great array of talented, skillful individuals, and each of them is like amazing at what they do, which makes the whole thing bigger than the, 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 sum, the of sum of its parts. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think that, and that's um, and to answer that, I mean, it was it was the film had the film had to be made. That was the right thing for me to do at that time about that subject matter. And I wanted it to be the, the voice of these kids. I wanted it to be the voice of the ones who are not listened to properly, away from marches. Because if you're on march, you're, you've got everybody else's energy. Yeah. There's too many energies around, either negative, too angry, to everything. The Germans have a great word. It's called gereizt. And it's a fantastic word. It's all like spiky and horrible. And, <laughs> you know, and it, and, it, and it sounds like what it is, you know. And you don't want to be like you don't want to interview anybody at a march because no, and then you don't want to do them in a studio where it's all controlled where you've got the interviewer and then he's got a radio piece and producers in the box going, don't talk to that one, talk to that one, antagonize them, say that, move to the next. Listen, it's all a, it's all a cop. Yeah, I wanted them just to speak their truth, and they did, and you've seen it, Dan. So I, I hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, I did, I did. So it's kind of hypnotic. So it it, it moves beyond simply being a, a document of that time and place and there's this there's this dancing that's interspersed throughout and it's not just like it cuts yeah. away from the interviews into the dancing like they, they bleed over one another and it's it's got that same rhythm that paul was talking about earlier how how did you end up with that element of it well the dance was i knew i wanted that involved in it but um a really close friend of mine uh 
Harriet Elizabeth Waghorn is a choreographer. She, we, the male dancer, Dak, if you look carefully, the movements he's doing are taken from photographs of people who are being hung, lynched, or, or attacked. The arms in the air, the things behind his back, like that. It's been, yeah. And there's Lisa, the dance, she was amazing, and I love her. And it's just, you know, um, she's somebody who I wanted to work with as well. She's an incredible dancer and, and performer in her own right. And she did her piece literally on the spot. She choreographed herself and she was amazing. And she was doing when someone is captured and they're at their last breath. And then she also did the pieces where she's doing someone who was shot and then the movements, as you can see, that we did the double exposure. And there was they they were saying their pieces, but through movement. So you get this seed of an idea, you bump into somebody by a set of circumstances and then you have this idea and this for this idea is forming where where is the bit in you says this is going to be good this is going to be like i feel this is going to be great is that is that again this gut instinct that's telling you that i've got this body or this piece of work i've got the the seed of the idea and now i just need to form it and how how are you like are you forming on the fly or are you writing before you turn? What, what's, the, what's the process involved in, in that? Okay, so I can tell you prior to the brief because Jim Marshall was a, a, a quite a monumental thing and it took a quite a while to get that together. Not a while, a while. We really knew that we wanted to make a film. Of every film I've done, I always know the beginning and the end. I don't know the middle bit. <laughs> I know the beginning and the end. I don't know how. I just kind of know the opening. But the, the next three projects I've got, I've already got the beginning and the end. And one of them I've got the beginning and, and more of it and, and some because I've worked on one of the projects more. But um, you, I still breathe. I knew I wanted it to be hopeful to a degree. I didn't want it to be cynical and angry and shouty and because people turn off. So I knew already opening, I knew I wanted to open like that. And I'm telling the audience, whoever's listening, how it opens because I, I really would love you to to whoever's listening to watch and go and see it. Um, but it's a powerful opening, but it's an opening that had to be that way. Uh, so I knew already that, and um, the um, cinematographer Mateo and I were working on it. And I, as a director, you have to do a thing called a shot list. So I was in here. I have to put it to a like it's almost like a template, like a almost like an Excel sheet, and you put the shots. Camera will pan in here. Da, da, da. And these are the shots you're going to get for your for the, for the day. Right. And that gets fed to the the, the, the producer and the, and the cinematographer. We go over it. And then I go tell the gaffers and the lighting people what kind of lights, what, what, what colors are you seeing out of it? So you really have to be on. That's why the director may seem like he doesn't do much apart from tell people what to do, but it's bigger than that. Because if you have, a, I write and I direct, or if you're creating and you direct, a lot of your stuff is in here. And your vision as director has to be, you have to have the right people around you to interpret your ideas, you know, and it is finding the right people and no one... And that's the skill, right? That's the skill, finding the right people and people that you can trust. And I think that's that's when I was, I was saying this in, in previous weeks to Dan is that like these these trusted people that you can call upon... Um, that make you better than you are. Like, and I think that's that's one of the beautiful things about our industry is that you know your weak points, you know what you're good at, and you know what you're yeah. not so good at. And and being honest with yourself about those your your bad points and and your good points, and then trying to fill in the gaps with really talented individuals who can make it better, right? And, yeah, and you're learning all the time. Is that point I go back to that you know. 
There are people, and I remember Orson Welles is one of my idols. He said, you know, if there's a guy who's just holding a broom, who's got a great idea, you know, he gets in the picture. But it's not great, it's not great. But, you know, he goes, everybody's got something about them. Mm. And if they have a great idea for, for part of the story, you know, he goes, it's, it's, you know, he goes, I'll listen to it if it's worth listening to. Of course I will. And then if it's worth it, he goes, he goes, it gets in the picture. How, how much of it is improvised? It sounds like there's definitely... Uh, a fairly large portion of it, you said that the middle is kind of up for debate until, I guess, as close to the 11th hour as you can possibly cut it. So, Jim Marshall, you never know what you're going to get from someone from it. You have an interview list. But what you do is create story beats and you create the, the path. I knew I wanted to start the film. It's not a secret at Jim's death because he's dead. He's just died at 74 yeah, yeah. in New York in 2010. So I wanted to start there. I knew that for certain, but it's then for you find out more as you as you investigate anyway. And luckily, I had working closely with Jim's estate. I got a friendly, very you know, we're friends. Amelia Davis and Billina Passarelli. Amelia was Jim's assistant, and he left everything to her in his estate. So really fortunate. Most people, when you're making a doc about someone who's larger than life like that, it's a nightmare. You have to find this person and get this and the rights to that. And oh my gosh, finding that. Oh, it's a nightmare. And that's why docs sometimes take a long time. But the best thing is to do, because I'm working on something now, we're just literally formalizing the rights for a, a, a drama, a biopic, which I can't tell you about until we've signed. But we're working, we're doing the draft agreement now, but I will tell you guys, I'd love to come back and tell you that. We'd love to hear it. That, that, I'm a bit like this, because (laughs) I love feeling out of your comfort zone, it'll be my first drama away from Doc, working with actors. (laughs) You know, (laughs) they will do as I tell you. No, I'm not going to be like that, but you know. I love to get the best out of them and they know their craft and you just work with them and, uh, and we're talking, we're just literally now sending stuff out today, just getting things together to speak to the, the, the you know, I work with a great casting director, Alex Johnson, she's fabulous. And we're just going to reach out to the relevant people and see if we can get the, uh, the talent that we want and see if they, they'll go for it. And if they are, then We've actually got the rights. To, we're getting the rights now. He's got everything goes well, you know. And if that all happens, we do we do the deal and we sign, then it'll come up with IMDb, and they thing you know, where it'll be in development. Woohoo! Sounds exciting. It must be really exciting. By the way, guys, we're shooting in London and Paris, so you guys have to come along. Oh, <laughs> I love Paris. <laughs> I love that. Not even London. I love Paris. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I like the patisseries. Exactly. Oh, listen, though, I, I need to keep away from those. They're bloody nice. They're in Paris. They're marvellous, those patisseries. They've got too much, too many nice things. Those mille feet. Uh, exactly. Those little, those, those dangerous French people know how to um, Yeah, they do. I could chat to you all night, Alfred, but I've, yeah. I've loved this. It's been so interesting. And there's still. No, you million... guys are brilliant. I don't even. Listen, there's, there's, I can't even believe the time. This is fantastic. I'm, these all started just because I was literally talking to Paul and we were having these sorts of conversations. And at some point, Paul did that thing that only Paul does where he's like, you need to start recording these. So I got delegated a job and that's where we are. Um, but we, we were having these. Gonna, you know, and I wanted to ask you, how did, what, how, how, why guys, uh, you know, 
Paul, Dan, why? 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 And, and why the title for it, Idle Hands? The double ways work, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That is exactly it. Um, it's, it's, it's a concept that I sort of threw together a little while back. I started writing articles for it. Mm. I'm not particularly good at writing. I'm dyslexic. I, I don't actually read much just because of my dyslexia, but I do quite enjoy trying to get my thoughts straight on paper. So I, I, I wrote a few, a few articles. Um, I sent them to Paul just because I trust Paul's opinion. I was like, am I onto something or is this absolute bollocks? And um, <laughs> he said that I was onto something and I sort of pulled the trigger. I put the site live and on a, conversation every so often myself and Paul would catch up and we'd speak for an hour or so over zoom or whatever it was then FaceTime or something. And then, you know, it, he did that Paul thing where he was like, okay, so you need to start recording these now and you need to start putting them out. And then before I know it, he's like, how do we do this with like 15 people? And I've got this person, <laughs> Alfred wants to talk to us and Roman wants to talk to us. And it's, yeah, it's been a bit of a whirlwind. Like I'm I'm the least qualified person, I think, to be asking these questions, but I'm thoroughly enjoying myself. Do you remember, do, do you remember Mr. Motivator from the 80s, uh, Alfred? <laughs> oh, you know, yeah, it, I know, it, I know. His name's Derek. I know Derek. Derek, yeah, well, I, I think Daniel's my Derek. <laughs> Bless you. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, guys, and I know I'm getting into my kind of like uh, fantastical stuff, I'll tell you what. I can see this being a real, I can see this being like filmed in a really lovely little venue, like nice little venue where you guys talk to people. Do you know, you know Paul's already uh, recommended creative, it. Just, just the creators, yeah. just, yeah. I like, the, I like the idea of maybe once a month we just turn up at a location, maybe like a beachfront with a camping table and we just maybe bring a photograph from that local area and we sit around a camper table with a cup of tea and, you know. Bring out the margaritas. Oh, yeah, margaritas. That's the future, guys. I feel like before we start getting too far into our signing off and saying goodbye to each other, I'd, I'd love to just quickly run through some shout outs. Um, yeah. Alfred, I don't know if, if, if you have a shout out this week, but um, I see Paul's scrambling. He does this. Uh, no, no, I, I got it ready. I got it ready, Dan. I've yeah. already showed you this. This is a classic. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay, name. Paul, I'll let you go first then, mate. So I like I like the name of the book. I think it's the best name of a book I've ever come across. This. For every minute you're angry, you lose 60 seconds of happiness. And it's by oh, a guy wow. called Julian Germain. And it's just, it's a beautiful, it's basically, it's just this old guy, basically, Charles Snelling, with the albums of Char an elderly gentleman. And it's, it's a magical thing. Uh, it's it's beautiful from start to finish. I just think you just got to look at it and, and and see the consistency in the body of the work and the details. There's more details, and I'll bring it to you, Alf. You can have you can have a lend and, and tell oh, me what you think. Oh man, I love that! It sounds, the title is fantastic. It's a great title, isn't it? For every minute, I said that to Rosa. I said, Rosa, every time you're angry with me, you're losing <laughs> sixty seconds of happiness. She's like, what, Daddy? <laughs> Yeah. Said, Shut up, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to use that on the boys. I'm going to use that on the boys. I have to because it's absolutely brilliant. Uh, my shout out is to my producer, Betty Aldis, who is, we recently, we did I Still Breathe together and we now, um, she, even though she's involved in modern films, she's part, she's um, part of um, 
Project 64 as part of our company together. And it's really funny. We laugh a hell of a lot. She's always been so supportive of me as a creative person. And, you know, when you, it's really difficult to sometimes to find someone who is so flag-waving, but not in a kind of, like, sycophantic way, but she's just, you know, she does things. And when she says she's going to do something, she does it. And she always knows when to push and we work so well together and creatively she's she's we inspire each other and it's really it's really great we have a great friendship and and she's just such a beautiful person you know inside mm. and, I, and i and i you know she, she's she's funny the one thing is we laugh a lot we just we laugh we, we can get silly and laugh about stuff and even when things are difficult I and mean, we had a little difficult moment with stuff just to do with we're working on something that got a little bit awkward and we both just at one point just had the giggles about it and it literally lifted everything and we had to laugh because there's nothing we could do there's one well laugh about it you know and 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 then we got on and then all of a sudden things moved on and we we, we sorted out our problems but i mean wow it's really lovely to find someone like that. and betty Elvis is she she's amazing and i just wanted to say Thank you to her for Big being, for Betty. yeah, for being such a, a wonderful, supportive friend. You know, that's amazing. That's amazing. I'm going to try and find more of her work as well. My shout out this week is a book called Flowers. I, I'm I'm showing you guys because. I think I've already shown both of you actually just today. Uh, yes, book yeah, it's a brilliant book. Yeah, uh, Zara Carpenter. Text, it's, email um, me that name or text me that name because I'd love to 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 check check her out. Um, yeah, I will beautiful. do. I will do. Uh, this this book's really amazing. I I, I think it's um, it all seems to be flowers. From what I can gather, I'm desperately trying to work out what her process is, and the colours in it are amazing. But it mm-hmm. it looks like it's um, Polaroids that have been repainted yeah like she's painted on them or she's broken the polaroid as it were because it looks like there's bits of some of these photos where you can see like chemicals kind of erupting from in, inside of the polaroid or something uh it's, she's, it's just, she's just she does that yeah you do that to squeeze out of the chemical yeah she's done some rub on top of it yeah but she also what are you doing with your hand then alfred sorry <laughs> <laughs> sorry <laughs> don't I'm excited was... about you two lovely boys, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was a, jo- that was a job for, joke for radio. Uh, it was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty good, great face for radio, yeah. <laughs> Mr. Benson is staying in. <laughs> yeah. That is making the cut. Of course it is. Of course it is. <laughs> Woohoo! <I'm fine>. Uh, <laughs> That's the Bent's moment for this week, I think. You know what? This, this, no, to this moment, this has been really fantastic. And you guys, I, thank I you so much. I had one other one which felt, which felt as unique as this. And I was like, I, there was a Mind Your Wellfulness one, which a friend of mine, she got me involved in. And they asked some great questions, which are knowing. And you guys, this feels more like a group of just us three having a nice chat, but also. It feels really heartfelt as well that you care about creativity, you care about the people that you're talking to. So, Paul, you you know, I love you, man. Dan, love, man. There's a love. I was coming your way, mate. <laughs> so, listen, this has been really fantastic. Really, thank you, Alfred. Uh, I really appreciate it. Thank you, honestly. That I, I enjoyed that so much, and I would definitely love to have you back. My fingers are firmly crossed because I'm desperate to see this this drama that you're working on. So. Um, yeah, I, I can't wait to to meet up in real life, buy you a whiskey. Yeah, oh my gosh, 
Mister, we need anyway, to do that. We're going to have a big party on you as soon as we can. I can't oh, wait. Oh, my gosh. I'm tired of this lockdown nonsense. Can we just get on and, and actually stand next to each other and actually breathe air, you know? I, I'm really excited about seeing Alfred drumming. I want to get some drums in my garden and get out, Alfred whacking <laughs> out a few numbers for me. <laughs> Exactly. Let's get it. Give it. Give it. Give it. Give it to your John Bonham. You know, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have, Alfred. Do you have drums at home? No, uh, of course not. I wish I did. Do you boys, do, have your boys been like itching to pick up the old drum kit or? So when I go to the premises studio, my friend owns and runs it in Hackney, which is quite a famous studio. The boys are loved down there. They can do what they like. So there's really famous people who work with some of the biggest artists, like keyboardists, and they're showing the voice stuff. And they're like, yeah, yeah. And they're really into it. And Dylan wants to be a rock guitarist. I want to be Hendrix, then. It's Dylan. He wants to be Hendrix. Oh, my God. Because he saw a bit of Jim Marshall when there was a Hendrix section. That's why. Burning the guitar and he loved it. <laughs> I still had a That's million. Not the bit you do. I still had a million questions as well about about music, about how a pastor's son ends up listening to death metal, like because that's the world I'm from, <laughs> yeah. right? I, I, I'm from like the punk world before that. That's kind of where I started my creative career. I love career. that. And UK um, subs and 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 uh, you know the the, the the all of that stuff. Love it. Love the punk. The, punk. the, the Ramones. The Ramones. Ramones. Ooh. Come on, man. I mean, when you were saying about, um, like, drumming and how there were no, like, black role models in 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 rock and that kind of stuff, I, my mind immediately jumped to punk. And I was just thinking, like, if only, if only you'd found, like, Bad Brains and that kind of stuff. I just... Yeah. In Living Colour. In Living Colour was rock. I mean, I just was a bit later. It was a bit, just a bit late. And I already was, was just on the way out. But when I saw In Living Colour, I was like, oh, wow, Freddie, you should have stuck with that. <laughs> you know, and I saw this, this black American kind of rock punk um, group. And Living Colour was, was really, they were groundbreaking, you know. And it made other young black girls and boys know it's not just exclusive to, you know, to to one type of audience that you can only listen to to that music. That's, that's nonsense. Music nah. for everybody. Yeah. And if you're inspired by, it, please do. Because the funny thing is, punk had a punk had a weird crossover. Because the Clash basically wanted to be a dub band, and they hung yeah. out in the Grove, and they used to hang out with all the Rusters and the Dreads and smoke weed, and they knew everybody. Everybody knew the Clash in, in Portobello and that lot. They were, you know, that's my area. That's just like they they were they were part of the community. They're, they're, it's, it's, it was real life, guys. You know, that was everybody else, and they were kind of. It wasn't an act, and they used to hang out with everybody. Everybody knew them, and it's just a, you know they were the guys. I love the so, Clash, and you know it's really funny. Spandau Ballet wanted to be a jazz funk band. Right. They realised, they did, yeah, they did, but they knew, you know what, maybe we were being a little bit... <laughs> true, funny how it seems. Exactly. <laughs> Tell me you're still recording, Paul. Uh, if you, if they... you listen... No, yeah, recording is still on. I got it in the top, top left-hand corner says recording. <laughs> no, I want the stuff direct from Mike. I want his garage band one. <laughs> exactly. Well, well, when I when I was growing up, I used to play for the team called Penavey Football Club, and every year, the the manager, his name was John Pacman, 
used to dress up as Freddie Mercury and do a performance on the on the stage of the Are football you joking? He, on my life, he used to dress up, he'd get all up in the gear, and he would just really, like, give it some. And it's, it's one of the things, memories from my early childhood that stayed with. Like, That's this guy, he was like, <laughs> like really full on. Like, the, the whole place would be going wild, you know? It was like, I want it all. <laughs> <He's> like, really, <laughs> standing up on the stage in oh, one leg, amazing. and he was like, wow, I think I've got this... Um, this really deep, a gaga, yeah. I, I think I think I wanted to really be a rock star, I, but uh, unfortunately, um, it didn't happen. <laughs> one day, maybe one day, Alfred, we can form a band. You, we're old. You've got to be the only male from from Wales, from South Wales, that didn't end up in a rock group. Because <laughs> you've got who's it? The Stereophonics are from Wales, aren't they? Everyone. Yeah, they are. Stereo. Manic Street Preachers. Well, I, love the ster- I love the Stereophonics. Manix, the Stereophonics. Who else? Well, Tom Jones. Tom, yeah, Tom well. <laughs> Jonesy's not really... Jonesy's soul, isn't he? He's, he's kind of blue soul. He's my he's, man, huh? He's a love, love He's probably your dad, right? <laughs> on, on, on Ali's 40th, um, he had, like, a karaoke with a live band. So, basically, you you kind of... It's called rock rockyoke. And um, <laughs> I sang Tina Turner, Simply the Best for Her. So, that's, I, it was my moment of pure joy. Does that exist? A, Is that in the public domain? Can we put that on the show? It is. I, 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 I have got a is video. Is there a recording? Actually... A video? Yes. I've got a video God. of the whole... R- Roman videoed the whole thing, so I've got a video of the... I will oh, dig boy. it out for you, boys. I, I'll, I'll send it. How is, how, is, how is Roman? Is he good? Yeah, I saw him today, actually. I I went up to Finsbury Park and um, went to his little office. Uh, yes, he is. He's, I think he's slightly more positive on life. You know, he's the Frenchman. I do not want to do these sheep. But he's, he's good, he's good. He's definitely on... on he didn't audio. call me back, though. You need to call me back, because uh, my friend has given okay. me information in town about... Sorry, okay, I'm recording. Well, no, we can cut this out. But uh, he, um, he, you know, there is stuff going on. Okay, okay, I'm going to tell him. I'm gonna... If he's interested. Okay, okay, I'm going to... We, we, we had a really good chat, though. We had a really he did, he said you had a lovely chat. He said it was really... He said you were really kind. I said, Alfred, kind? I don't know. You must be talking to a different man. <laughs> yeah, that guy. He's... <laughs> <laughs> I'm a motherfucker's cold-blooded. Cold-blooded motherfucker. My wife is shouting at me from downstairs that my food is ready. So I'm going to... Let's let's thank you. I want to say thank you. A big hug. Big cuddle. Big Damn. daddy love. Our pleasure. 